I'm going to have to to do a breath check before I get up here on Sunday mornings. I feel like everybody is just kind of moving out there. And actually, today I'm going to try to today I'm going to try to do something a little bit different that would have required you to come forward. Uh, this is going to be kind of a talk back today. Uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to be able to field maybe some, some questions you have about the text uh, as we go through it. We're going to be in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, again today. And I'm going to ask you to look at your pew Bible, not so much what's on the screen, but have it in front of you. I'm going to ask you to start bringing your Bibles with you. We are in a very texting kind of generation, and texting can be very impersonal. And sometimes it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm all for technology, but sometimes when we see things up on the screen, there's a distancing from the text to us. If you have it in your hands, you can realize what we have in front of us is a miracle. Amidst all the generations and all of those that would struggle to try to suppress this word from reaching us, here it is for us. So I'm going to encourage you particularly if you don't have your own copy of the Bible. One of the wonderful things about this, this is probably my sixth Bible, and I love the journaling Bibles, things that as, as I'm reading, as I'm studying, as I'm listening to, to other speakers, things that I want to remember that I can put in the text. One of the things I, I did for my son years ago, my son graduated some 10 years ago, from high school, and I was, I was thinking about three years before he graduated, I thought, what can I get my son, first of all, that I can afford? <laughs> I can't get him a car. Uh, and, you know, that's typically the kind of things you think about when your kid graduates. But three years before he graduated, I thought, oh, I've got an idea. I'm going to take all my old Bibles and everything that I wrote in the margins that I wanted to remember, I'm going to get him a Bible, a journaling Bible, and I'm going to write in those lessons, everything that I learned from the time I was 17 years old to the time when I was when he graduated. <laughs> um, and I, it, was, it was wonderful to be able to review all of that for myself as well, to see how I wrote down as a new Christian to the, progr- the progress that I made as I went through school and seminary and had been in the ministry for years, and I was able to present that to him. And I don't know if it, it probably meant more to me than it did to him, but um, no, actually it was, it was a, a wonderful thing to be able to, to in some way record that journey. And what we have in the scripture is a journey You look in all of the Gospels and you begin to see that what we have are the journals, the diaries of those who walked alongside Jesus in the flesh. And they recorded all of those amazing events that they had with Jesus. And it continues. I would encourage you not only to have your own Bible, but your own journal. Write down those things that that you don't want to forget, those things that you can look back on and say, here's where I was, but here's where I am. Because we are challenged to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Not just memorize 
things, not just what I call uh, be able to, to talk back bumper sticker theology, those, those little things that, that we remember from vacation Bible school or, or Sunday school, which are important, but how, how have you experienced Christ today? How have you experienced the power of the gospel in your life today, not just in what has happened in the past? You know, one of the things I think that, that we have a challenge with in, in many of our congregations is when someone says, tell me about your Christian experience, if they ever do say something like that, or if we want to share something about Christ, we go back to that point where we were born again. That's salvation experience. And for me, that was February 13th, 1971, in a youth rally, 1,200 kids there. I remember it like it was yesterday. But if you ask me about my faith in Christ, my experience in Christ, I'm not going to go back to that. I'm going to tell you what my life is like yesterday. It's similar to if you ask me about my wife, I'll probably tell you about what happened this morning. She was up getting dressed. You know, she was... (coughs) coughing. She doesn't have COVID. She has bronchitis. We go through this this, uh, scenario all the time. I try to get her to go to the doctor. She won't go to the doctor and she takes all of these home remedies. It doesn't work. I've done this for 11 years. I know the cycle. The cycle today was I can make it. I slept last night. She took one of her things to make her go to sleep and she came up this morning and she's coughing like crazy. And I said, no, you're not going to go in to church, uh, even though you don't think you're contagious, you're not going to do that. And I literally had to make her go to bed. She's up. <laughs> She's doing something around the house, cleaning up or something. But if, if you ask me about my wife, I'm going to tell you the joy of that experience that I experience with her every day, moment to moment, usually. I'm not going to tell you about my wedding unless you ask me I'm not going to go through my wedding ceremony, as wonderful as it was. I'm going to talk to you about what my relationship with my wife is now, as it's grown, as it's matured, how I know her in deeper ways than I did even when we said I do. And I think that's, that's part of the challenge we have in many of our churches is we've become consumers and spectators and we listen to the testimonies of others and think that we're going to have to try to fit our experience in Christ with what we're hearing someone else share. My journey is not going to be the same as yours. That's wonderful. God knows you so well. He knows how to reach you. And he knows the experiences that you need in him to grow as you will grow, not as Brian will grow. So my testimonies may encourage you, but what we do here today and what we do as we move through the week is we seek God's guidance and leadership for our lives. And then on Sunday morning we come in and we share what we've experienced together separately as individuals same god wonderful works in our lives does that make sense i I think that that's one of the things that, that i hope we can begin to do is to consider coming to worship service ready to worship rather than hopefully someone will say something someone will sing something that will encourage us to worship after we leave we've 
worship is, is ongoing. So I want to sh- before we get into the message today, what I want to do is I want to share with you, last week we had kind of a brainstorming session. I called it a brainstorming, heartwarming session, where we went over some ideas. What do we want to see as we move forward uh, with, with, uh, with what's happening in the church? And I gave some ideas, and I asked you to write some down as well to share with me. But here are some things that are already in the works. Just kind of gathering information to see where we might go with some of these things. We haven't decided as a church to do that, but here are some things I'm just gathering information on. What I did is I passed out to you a review of the first three sermons that I shared. And then I I asked three questions. What is the vision that we have for the church? What's the, the mission statement, basically, with that question? What is keeping the church from moving toward fulfilling that vision? And what are some creative ideas to advance the community into that vision? Those three things. And I just kind of threw them out to you. And then I gave a list of ten things that might help us to move forward. And here are some things that are already in the works. Um, We already talked about Wednesday night. Don shared Wednesday night. Brian L. Shoemaker Facebook page, because I'm not an administrator on this Facebook page yet for the church. Uh, That hasn't happened yet, but you can go to my Facebook page, Brian L. Shoemaker, and there's a brief devotional, and you can interact on that devotional. I'm going to encourage you to do that, not just for yourself as a consumer, but that you could share it. That's not hard. If you know anything about technology, you can go on that, you can go on yourself, and then you can share that with somebody else. Are you willing to do that? To think about somebody else that may need that Wednesday night boost. It's 20 minutes at the most. Um, And I did get some interaction, but at this point, I think maybe we had six to eight people. And some of them were not from the church. I put it on my personal page, Rhonda and I have a page together. I put it on that, and, I, and then I shared it for the church. Go there. Just take 20 minutes of your Wednesday night. And it, as I said, it, it, is not, it is a very, hopefully, comforting, encouraging, enabling type of message. So that's Wednesday night. Uh... We're looking at having events, quarterly events. The first one perhaps being one in using our education space where we would invite other churches and other individuals to come to electives in those classrooms. I'm looking at the fall trying to get some some speakers to come to deal with apologetics. I know that's a fancy word. But simply, why do we believe in God? And what I heard already with some of y'all that we talked uh, last week and the week before is you have people in your family that don't even know if they believe in God or not. And the church has got to address those things. So how do we do that? So one of the electives that we're going to offer in the fall, hopefully, and we haven't worked through all the details with this even permission yet, But one of the things that that I hope we can do is to offer to other churches to come in and say, here's a seminar on how you can begin to talk to someone who's an atheist. We are becoming more and more an atheistic 
secularized culture. How do you talk to someone who doesn't even believe in God? Or doubts believing in God? And there are solid answers to that. So that's what I'm looking at in the fall, perhaps. Uh, We're looking at possibly bringing, bringing in a concert series, not just gospel quartets, but um, a Christian illusionist. There are people that, that share Christ through amazing different talents. Can we kind of raise the bar a little bit and, and open the doors to some creative ideas with those type of things? Uh, we're even talking about having, you know, since people tend to travel during the summer, one of the biggest excuses of not seeing people come to church is, well, we're on vacation. What if we sponsored a vacation? A church-wide vacation where all of us take the same trip. Do a bus trip together. Do a retreat together. Figure out where everybody wants to go. You want to go to Gatlinburg? Let's all go together. And let's have worship in Gatlinburg. One of the wonderful things we did with with my home church in Buckner is we had a choir, we had a puppet team, and we were invited, I I worked through some channels, and we actually brought our choir and our puppet team to the chapel in Dollywood during Christmas time. We did that two years in a row. We all went together, and we had worship in Dollywood, and we invited people, tourists, to come in. And the puppet team brought them in, and our choir shared some cantata songs. We got to be creative. And we have an amazing God who is the ultimate creator. Are we that concerned about reaching people and discipling congregations more so than simply gathering a crowd? Numbers. You know, I don't think Jesus was as interested in numbers. And I don't think God, I know God wants, is not willing that any should perish. But when we start looking at numbers rather than ministering to people, we're doing it the way of the world and the culture, not the way of the church. If you measure success by numbers, Jesus was a failure. Only one went all the way to the cross with him. It's not about numbers, y'all. It's about people that cross our path every day. Do we have the spiritual sustenance and perseverance to just come up to someone and say, how you doing? And wait for an answer. How can I pray for you and truly mean it? And not bring that prayer request necessarily back to the pastor to pray for that person. You pray for that person in the moment. Let's pray right now. That is the church. How can we be creative? Last thing, and then I'll go on. Are you agitated? I hope to agitate you. I don't want to offend anybody. That's not my purpose. But I want to challenge you. I think the church right now, not just this church, but the church in general is being challenged to step up to a new paradigm that focuses on people as individuals and enabling people to find Christ rather than simply entertaining a crowd. 
Um, last thing. This is already in the works, too. My good buddy and brother, Mike Sawalich, up there at Mount Sterling on the hill, who kind of looks down on me, but up there, you know, I was Mike's pastor years ago and when he was a deacon. Mike and I have been brothers for, for years and years. And when he and I get together, he calls us Laurel and Hardy. Um, the wives just kind of shake their heads. You know. I love the guy. And there's a lot of energy when we're together. It's just one funny thing after the other, usually. And we've prayed together and we've, we've wept together. Mike and I are working on the possibility of doing some kind of blog slash radio online talk show kind of thing. And he's already begun that process. Froggy's willing to work with us. But we're looking at more than just that. We're looking at possibly putting out a blog that would be a live radio broadcast. I have a student that just moved back from California who has got his degree in videography who needs a place to invest, uh, just wants to do it. You know, when, when you start thinking outside the box and you start saying, like when there were thousands of people that were hungry on the hillside, 5,000 plus that were starving, and Jesus said, look at the masses. How are we going to feed them? The question wasn't, are we going to feed them? That was not even a negotiable. Jesus didn't say, are we going to do this? He said, how are we going to do it? And there was one who was faithful enough to say, there's a little boy over here, five loaves and two fishes. The two fishes emphasized the gospel, two witnesses. The five loaves emphasized the law. The five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. So he said, you've got the word that is continuing to move. It's never been stifled. From the moment God gave the law to the moment that God gave us Jesus, the Spirit of God and the Word of God is continuing to move unhindered into this world. And the only way the church, the only way the word will be hindered is if the church stifles its vision. But in every generation, the church has stepped up to the, the new challenges that it faces. How are we going to get the gospel to this population, to this culture? Are we going to continue to do the law? Or are we going to supersede it by grace? Are we going to move with the, with the Spirit of God rather than our own imaginations? And God is the consummate creator. The wonderful thing about the church is when you can sit down at table, like we did last week, sit down at table with spirit-filled, creative people and say, here's our challenges, how are we going to overcome it? Not to revel in the past with the successes of the past. You met that challenge then. How are you going to meet the challenge now? Are you going to do the same things that met that challenge? Well, that's gone. You did that. But how are you going to meet the challenge now? That 
is Mark 5. You've got the disciples on a boat. The storm comes against them. And Jesus is sleeping. He said, we're going to get there. I'm with you. I'm on your boat. If Jesus is in this church, if Jesus is in this vessel, you're going to get there. But when the storms come against you, you don't re-articulate your challenge. You look to Jesus and say, okay, how are we going to get there? How are we going to get to the other side? When you become open and vulnerable to those possibilities, no matter what comes against you, cannot supersede or overwhelm the power of Christ. The power of the gospel is still the power of the gospel. So they get to the other side, right? And here comes a man who has lived in darkness, lived among the tombs, knows nothing more than what the culture has to offer. And even the shackles of the culture, even what would keep him down and discouraged and depressed could not subdue him. Look in the text. Chapter 5 and verse 5. Night and day in the darkness and on the mountains crying out, cutting himself with stones. What will it take? What major trauma, what major event will it take for us to finally receive the mission we have as a church to reach out to the darkness of this culture rather than to shrink back. I've taught high school 20 years. I'm a good teacher. I know I I teach well. That's, That's just... And I wouldn't have wanted to do that. That is not what I wanted to do all my life. Be in a classroom and teach and grade and lesson plans and, and, all, and hear you know, criticism and everything from every, every end. You know, everybody has the idea of how to do it. But I, I, I think I, in 20 years I've only had four instances that were negative. But sometimes... I took that for granted. I'm going to tell you about my tipping point. When I I learned that one of my students was like this man. Never had a daughter. I have a son. He's great. I always wanted a daughter, but God knew I wouldn't wouldn't be a healthy father for a daughter. I wouldn't let anybody get near her. You know? But I, had so, I have taught 2,000 kids, teenagers, love them, empathetic, realizing what te- teenagers have to go through today. One girl in particular named Olivia. And Olivia came in and to my classroom and never said a word most of the year. By second semester, there was one thing, I was sharing this story about the man who lived in darkness, who, was, who could not be who God has designed him to be. He couldn't, he couldn't measure up to the expectations of the culture, so he ran from the culture and hid him in the darkness where he could just 
howl at the moon. He, he couldn't find his identity in the, in the culture. And she came to me after, after class. It was lunchtime. Everybody else had left. It was lunchtime. She came in and she said, uh, Doc, can, they called me Doc Shu. And I said, Doc, she said, Doc, can I talk to you? And, she, and tears are streaming down her face. And I said, Olivia, what's going on? And she said, since eighth grade, because I couldn't afford decent clothes, I had to wear my brother's clothes. I wore his Converse, I wore his sweatshirts, I wore his jeans. And from sixth, or eighth grade on, I have been labeled as a certain type of person. They called me this name. And I've lived that all my life to my junior year. And, and she was alone. Nobody would accept her into their little groups and their little cliques. And she said, I can't live like this anymore. I said, what are you telling me, Olivia? I said, if, you, if, if you're going to tell me that you're going to harm yourself, I've got to tell somebody. By law, I have to tell somebody. But I'll walk alongside of you. And she pulled up her sleeves she cut herself. She had gotten a doctor's help for that. So physically, she was okay. Emotionally, spiritually, socially, she was like this man. And everybody just thought she was weird. Nobody touched her. By the end of the year, though, as we began working through stories like this, I watched the transformation of Olivia. She outgrew what they were saying about her because she began to grow in God's love for her and God's grace for her. Now, that happened is I began to move from being the teacher with a lesson plan to the mentor with a love for Olivia. To care about the person. Not about her grade. Because it wasn't about grades in my class. It was about growing. And there's a difference. It's not about numbers in this church. As much as I would love to be able to preach to a full house, that makes me nervous. <laughs> I would love to be able to preach, but that's not my point. My point and my calling is to share Christ with whoever crosses my path. And there are different ways to do that. That's my success story. I got a failure story. Michael, senior, atheist, was in my apologetics class. And everything I shared with him, he could come back at me. He was brilliant, engineering mind, science, and terrified me. That's why I went to Oxford on a sabbatical, because I wasn't ready to talk to Michael. And I'm the teacher. At the end of his senior year, Michael came to me and he said, Doc, how can I believe in God? 
And my first inclination was to go to the program. Go back to, well, Michael, we've talked about the five classical arguments for the existence of God by Sir Thomas Aquinas, cosmological, teleological, moral argument, religious experience. All of those arguments we could talk about again, ontological argument. He'd already gone through those. He could argue those. So finally, I I took a step back and I took a breath And Brian talked to Michael, not Dr. Shoemaker. I sat down next to him and I I said, Michael, I don't know how you can believe in God. I can tell you how I've come to believe in God. But if you truly have an open scientific mind of all the possibilities, rather than turn yourself off to that, and truly seek after the, the God of the universe, I really believe God will, will make himself known to you in a way that's unique to you. Not by what you hear in chapel with all of these testimonies, that's their testimony, but in a way that God will reveal himself uniquely to you. And he left. He went to a prominent engineering school was doing really well. A year and a half later, he came back for Christmas, went down into his basement, into his bathroom, built himself a generator, put a tarp over himself, started the generator, and asphyxiated himself. It's one of my kids. You ask me why I'm passionate about people? That's my tipping point. I've had several. I've had knives at my throat. I was in a leper colony. You can't be in a leper colony. and The people, because of Hinduism, are set aside as unclean. You don't touch them. They're like lepers. You don't go to them. You can't see those things. You can't be in those situations and not realize we've got to reach people. People that are like this man in the darkness, cutting themselves, giving up as if there is no God. Who will go to them? Who will cross those stormy seas? Who will get on the other side of the challenges that face us to reach those people if we don't? And some of you right now, you're in that place of darkness. The culture has so overwhelmed you. You feel shackled. You feel like there is no hope. We've all gone through some terrible years together, and and they're going to continue. If you just put your faith and hope in something political or something social or something cultural, rather than something kingdom-driven, There is the empire of the flesh, the empire of this world that right now is in opposition to the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But we know somewhere down in the very core of our being, Jesus is right. Jesus is right. So here's what happened. Jesus comes to him and says, 
what is your name? Can we do that? Can we actually go to people and care enough about people that we care about who they are rather than what we want, we want them to be for us? Tell me your story. Who are you? And that's what Jesus was reaching for with this man. Tell me your story. Tell me how I can bring you out of this darkness and into the light. And he drove all of those spirits, all of the past weaknesses, all of the failures, all of those expectations that the culture had put on him, all of those things that had drug him down into the tombs, into darkness and depression and discouragement, all of those things were dispelled by the salvation of Christ when this man received Jesus and received that light. And Jesus said, everything else, get away from him. I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to the demons. I'm talking to you. God does not define us by our demons, folks. He defines us by the design he created us to be. And our salvation is receiving that identity in Christ. In Christ, there is no condemnation. That's our salvation. There is conviction for us to grow, but there is no condemnation. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and be free from your sin. You are not bound by sin. You do not have to be a victim. Because he lives, we shall live also. So what happened? I love this. When he started telling his story, people started being afraid of him. People in the culture who were just as bound in their blindness and darkness were afraid of him because he had become confident in his identity in Christ. It's the old MC Hammer song. Do what you want to with the flesh, but you know what? can't touch this. We have become so attuned to being victimized that we don't speak with confidence to the darkness of this world with the authority of Christ. Listen, folks, we need to start making our boundaries firm. We don't have, I'm not talking about severing relationships with people who aren't Christians or not talking. I'm not talking about that at all. We need to be talking to people who don't know Christ. What I'm talking about is I'm not going to participate or cooperate with evil. Okay, that's my choice. And I can support it and enable it with Christ. So they were afraid. If you stand for Christ, People may be angry with you, people may come at you, but that's because they're afraid of you. You're speaking truth to power. Now, you're going to get persecuted. <laughs> you know, people are going to, in this country, but you know what? We're talking maybe somebody will just make fun of you. 
call you a name. Okay. They were afraid of him. Last thing. Verse 19. Jesus did not permit the man to go with him, but said to him, go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. That is the mission of the church. Go home. Be in community. Tell your friends about Jesus. Not about Brian Shoemaker. Please, no. Not about your church. You can do that. That's fine. We have a nice fellowship. But it's about what Jesus has done for you. It's amazing how the Spirit can take that message and transform the lives of people like Jesus did for this man in the darkness. People need to hear that. People need to know you're praying for them. People need to know the name of Jesus. Just the name of Jesus. There is something about that name. Go home and to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy for you. I've asked uh, Darlene to come and share just, just briefly a couple of paragraphs in a book by Henry Nowen about going home. Darlene. There are two realities to which you must cling. First, God has promised that you will receive the love you have been searching for. And second, God is faithful to that promise. So stop wandering around. Instead, come home and trust that God will bring you what you need. Your whole life, you have been running about seeking the love you desire. Now it is time to end that search. Trust that God will give you that all-fulfilling love and will give it in a human way. Before you die, God will offer you the deepest satisfaction you can desire. Just stop running and start trusting and receiving. Home is where you are truly safe. It is where you can receive what you desire. You need human hands to hold you there so you don't run away again. But when you come home and stay home, you will find that love, the love that will bring rest to your heart. Thank you. A pretty rascally sixth grader. I won't tell you all the little things that I did that weren't really that bad they were just mischievous and I I don't remember what I did on this particular day selective memory I guess but I remember that my teacher called ahead and told my mom I had time to walk home from school to to our house and the teacher called ahead to tell my mom what I did because if I got in trouble at school I got in trouble at home no questions asked Um, the teacher was I don't know probably didn't like me or something you know um, 
Seems like I put a tack on her chair or something like that. But anyway, by the time I got home, my mom already knew. I needed to go home, but I was afraid to go home at the same time because I was afraid that my mom was going to be angry and she was going to punish me, or worse, have my dad punish me. So I walked slower, and I, I had different routes that I took, and I took time to, to kind of play with some friends on the way home so I wouldn't have to walk into that, that living room and face my mom. By the time I got home, though, I, I walked in, and I smelled my ultimate comfort food. My wife, or my wife, my, <laughs> that's, that's Freudian, my, my mom um, had made her own recipe of sloppy joe. To this day, I try to make it, and I can't. Mom, mom died about eight years ago, but when I was having really rough times, that's what she would do. She would make sloppy joe. I walk in as a sixth grader, I walk in, and I already know that what I did was wrong. I already know that. I don't need to be reminded of that. And God doesn't re keep reminding us of that, of the things we've done wrong. The man was already suffering the consequences of what he had done wrong. I walk in and mom says, come here. And she's in a rocking chair. And she picked, she, she led me over. She actually held me in that rocking chair. And I put my head on her chest. And I hear her heartbeat. And she just holds me. And she says, okay, you want to talk? You want to talk? miss my mom. She had a way. She didn't gloss over what I did, but she let me talk through it that I could find forgiveness. And the next day I went and I asked. I knew. I knew what to do. I had to ask my teacher for forgiveness. And it was done. My mother gave me the grace to be able to get there. I didn't do it by the law. I did it by relationship. She became one of my best, teacher became one of my best friends. I came home. And that's what we need. Home is the embrace of our Heavenly Father. What's your name? Tell me your story. Receive my love, my grace, and move on. Yeah, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. Let go of that. Let go of the darkness, of cutting yourself, of howling at the moon, of living in a culture that's dark. Our salvation is living who we are in Christ. May we pray. Lord, take our hands and lead us.